verses 1 through 13. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to, that, said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. You have hope. I have hope always. Why? Why? Why not? Doesn't do you any good to sit around and whine and moan and hope. It's got to get better. Things will get better. Jobs will come back. Stuff will happen. What kind of hope are you talking about? Do you have hope? Yeah. Why? Because I believe that God gives you hope and faith. Hope? Yeah. That's all I got, really. Do you have hope? Do I have what? Hope. Hope, yeah. Why? Because I'm living in America. What do you hope for? Well, I'm going to be 80. I hope for another five. Okay. When you lack hope, how do you get it back? How do I get it back? Think about all the past good times I had. Where does hope come from? Where does it come from? Believing. Believing in? What? Most anything that's been good. Hope comes from uh, within. You gotta have, a, I guess, faith. Faith in humanity. All right, go ahead and ask me a question. Okay. Do you have hope? Uh, not really, no. Why not? I just live every day like it's the last. Um. I've had a lot of loss in the last three or four years. Yeah. Did you have more hope before that, you think? Uh, not really. No. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm a depressive kind of guy. Okay. I take pills. Okay. <laughs> when you lose hope, how do you get it back? It's Axe God for it back. <laughs> 
Do I have hope? Yeah, I got hope. Because you could be in a hopeless situation, and, there, and there's always a time for hope. I mean, it's just around every corner. Do I have hope? Oh, yes. Why? Lord Jesus Christ. How does, that, how does he give you hope? Faith, knowing that it's gonna, you, everything's going to be okay, being certain of that. How are you certain of that? By faith. That's, what, that's, what, that's, how the ancients, uh, that's how the ancients pleased God, is by faith. So when you, when you lack faith, how do you find it? How do you find when hope? you lack faith, then it's hopeless. The only thing you know then is what, what, what you can see, what you, what you can uh, um, uh, feel or, 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 you know, what your five senses tell you. You're just a sensible person. But sens- sensible people don't make it. <laughs> Amazing as it is, it can live without food for several weeks. It can only go days without water. It can only go minutes without oxygen. But without hope, forget it. You lose hope, you lose everything. Because hope is what motivates us. It drives us to keep moving because we believe that things will get better. There have been thousands of psychological studies done on the power of hope in people's lives because psychologists realize that hope is more than just a positive outlook. Hope is more than just being optimistic about your future. It's more than just achieving your goals. It's more than just a good feeling because feelings change. As followers of Christ, we know that our hope is foundational in him because Jesus never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And so when our hope is in him, it's solid. But are we really placing all our hope in him? We say it, but are we living it? Do we live that every day? Or do we fall back sometimes on our our worldly ways? Because the Christian walk is always a journey towards hope. Always. And in the weeks leading up to Easter, that's exactly what we're going to be talking about. It's our journey towards hope. Now, in our text this morning, in the events that were leading up to our reading, Jesus had just been baptized. The heavens opened up, the Holy Spirit descended like a dove, and a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, with whom I am well pleased. It's what we might call the mountaintop moment, that mountaintop experience. We're feeling confident, we're encouraged, we feel empowered. We feel like we can take on the world in those moments. But oftentimes, what happens when we're on that mountaintop? We feel like someone just kicked us off without a parachute, and we come crashing down. And we say, what happened? What just happened? And it's in the moments just before we feel like we got pushed off 
that we started to let the distractions get in the way of our hope. We've let the enemy creep in and convince us that our hope lies everywhere else but in Jesus Christ, in the Word of God. In our text this morning, we see that Jesus was tempted in every possible way to separate him from God and God's will. You see, God had a plan for Jesus. That was to take his love to men and women of the world, to love them till he died for them. God told Jesus, take this power you have to love people. But in Satan's temptation with Jesus, his message was more of a display your power. Love is overrated. Live for yourself. Serve yourself first. Those same temptations face us every day. How often do we give in to them and let them distract us from the true hope that we have in Jesus Christ? I want to quickly cover, there's a difference between temptation and testing. Because God does not tempt us. In the book of James, the first chapter, remember when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us, and drag us away. Temptation is really just an enticement to go contrary to what God's will is. A test is a way to get a person to prove themselves faithful to God. God never tempts us to do evil, but he will use your circumstances to test your character and to make you stronger. Satan intends to use temptation to get Jesus to go against God's will. But in the midst of all of that, God's using Satan's own schemes against him in strengthening Jesus to ultimately fulfill his purpose. We see the same story played out with Job in the Old Testament. Satan tries to tempt Job into cursing God, but God was in control the whole time. He was in control of the tempter and the circumstances. Job didn't fall for Satan's temptation. Instead, he drew closer to God. And he comes out of that trial stronger, saying, Now my eyes have seen God before I had only heard about him. We see it again with Joseph, the one with the many-colored coat. His brothers meant harm when they sold him into slavery in Egypt. And Satan tempted Joseph over and over and over again with Potiphar's wife. But he too never fell for Satan's trap. And God used it all for good, making Joseph a strong leader in Egypt. Joseph tells his brothers in Genesis 50, 20, You intended to harm me. God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. You see, temptation always has to be seen in the context of testing because God's always in control of both the tempter and the circumstances. A temptation in the hands of God becomes a test 
in the hands of God to make you stronger. Temptation is real, but a good outcome is only assured when we yield to the leading in the power of the Holy Spirit, the same way that Jesus does. In our first verse this morning, it said, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. When you're full of the Holy Spirit, you have a target on your back. Satan takes notice. And if you don't feel like you're being attacked, check whose side you're on. Because as a follower of Christ, you have a target on your back. And temptation is around every corner. Spiritual warfare is out there all the time. But Satan steps in. He goes to Jesus and he says, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. If you are the Son of God. Jesus knew who he was. Satan knew who Jesus was. He was just trying to get Jesus to misuse his power for other purposes, to go outside of God's will, to work independently from God. He's trying to flatter Jesus in many ways. If you are the Son of God, why should you be hungry? God doesn't want you to be hungry. Just turn these stones into bread. You have the power to do it. Come on. Satan's tempting him with the lust of the flesh and questioning God's caring and provision. You ever do that? God, if you cared about me, why am I going through this? We do it all the time. Satan knew what Jesus' weakness was in that moment. Just like he knows yours and he knows mine. And he's going to tempt us with it. Whatever that want or that wish. Think for a moment about the loaves of bread that you allowed to enter into your life. TV, video games, sports, different hobbies. What are the things that you hunger for? The things that make you feel good. The things that have nothing to do with God, but you fill up your life with them anyway. And then they end up distracting you from spending time with God. Because when we spend our time and energy overindulging on certain things, our relationship with God suffers. And that's when Satan... He gets a foothold in. You leave that door open just a tiny bit. He can fit. He can fit. And he's sitting there, he's whispering in your ear, aren't you a child of God? Don't you deserve those things? As a child of God, don't you? He wants you to have those things. If you are a child of God, aren't you supposed to be healed of your diseases? Those illnesses are, as a child of God, you're not supposed to be sick. Do you hear those voices? 
Sometimes you may actually have another person tell you those things. You know, Satan can work through other people as well. You know, when I was going through cancer way back, I actually had someone tell me that my cancer was because of sin in my life. Imagine. 35, I have four children, and this person was telling me, that cancer, you have sin in your life. That's Satan talking. That's not God. That's what the world will tell us. That's what Satan wants you to believe. Because then he draws you to his side. You're right. You know what? God's punishing me for sin. I don't want to be a part of that God. But that's not the God we serve. And Jesus knew it. That's why he told Satan, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone. It's a reference to the Israelites wandering in the desert when manna was coming from heaven. It's about depending on God for all things. It's recognizing that even when things aren't happening the way we think they should, even when we aren't receiving the healing or the answers to the prayers the way we want, that God is still in control, that he still cares about us. Because our lives are about staying in God's will and waiting on his timing, his leading. It's not simply about what we want. But Satan comes back. He tries again. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Satan was offering Jesus a kingdom without the cross. It was a shortcut to power and authority and prestige. Why go through all the trouble and pain to win the world when it can just be handed over on a silver platter? No suffering, no struggling, no sacrifice. And Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Satan tries that tactic with us today, with the message of shortcuts and compromise. It's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. It's shortcut Christianity. It's claiming all the benefits of Christianity without the sacrifice, without the discipline, without discipleship, without Christ. Without Christ, who or what are we worshiping? What idols have we brought into our life that are distracting us from the hope that we have in Christ? Have we allowed shortcut Christianity into our lives? Have we allowed it to lead us into thinking that one hour a week is enough? Because Jesus is calling us to worship God, to seek him and love him first in all things. He's calling us to serve him and follow him in all things. Hope keeps our eyes on Jesus. Avoid the false promises of the world by keeping your eyes on God. You see, the ironic thing was Satan had no power 
to give Jesus. It's merely another distraction to keep him and get him outside of God's will. We need to take the focus off ourselves and put it back on God. But Satan still doesn't give up. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command the angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. This time, Satan's trying to use scripture to entice Jesus. He's kind of catching on to Jesus' game. He says, well, I'll try that. So he quotes Psalm 91, which promises God's protection for his own. The premise here is that, well, if God's protecting his own and you are his son, then you can jump. No worries. This is about testing God and the lack of faith on the one requesting it. And Jesus answered the scripture again. It is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, it's going back to the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy, when they're talking about the Israelites and the water from the rock. You must not test the Lord your God as you did when you complained at Massa. You must diligently obey the commands of the Lord your God, all the laws and decrees he has given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight, so all will go well with you. doesn't sound like do whatever you want and God will protect you. See, Satan is really trying to just get Jesus to manipulate God so that God will just send this rescue force of angels to save him. But true faith doesn't test God. It doesn't manipulate him to meet our demands. Satan is challenging Jesus to confirm the relationship he has with God. Does God really love you? Prove it by asking him to come and help you. You see, Jesus doesn't need to confirm his relationship with the Father. God just confirmed Jesus' identity at his baptism. Jesus is now taking God at his word and being obedient to it. He doesn't need further confirmation. That's the essence of faith. But sometimes we're tempted to force God to act on our behalf without ever realizing it. Do you ever go into a situation where you say, Lord, if you care for me, then this is going to turn out this way. It's almost like we have an emergency broadcast system for God's presence in our lives, and we're presuming how we think he should act. We hear this little alarm. Oh, yeah, God's here. See that? Look at that. It's our attempt at controlling God, not following his lead. It only leads to disappointment, not hope. And then in our disappointment, what we do is we look to blame God, say that he doesn't care, say that he isn't here for us, when actually he is, and he's just trying to get our attention and show us a better way. Funny, I was, as I was studying for this, text today all week I had a rough week I'll be honest it was a rough week 
spiritually, emotionally, physically. It was, it was a hard week, which was funny as I'm preparing this message. And it struck me as I was talking about this one part about twisting, you know, and challenging God, testing God. And we, you know our situation right now. God led us to Hollywood, and so we moved. But we have two houses right now. And so we keep, Lord, okay, we're going to take this step. We know that you're behind all of this. We, we know it by faith. We're stepping out. We knew it. And yet, when the other house went on the market, and we were thinking in our heads, oh, it's going to go fast because God is in it. And so it went on the market. People came to look at it, and nothing happened. And so this week, I was doing that very thing. Well, but God, we took that step of faith. We did what you asked, but now we're still stuck with two houses. What's going on? You were supposed to get rid of that house for us. Someone was supposed to come and and pick it up fast. And I was arguing with God. I'll be honest. I was mad. Lord, what? What did we do wrong? And I came to this text, and it's like he hit me upside the head. He said, do you get it yet? I said, oh, my goodness. I'm doing exactly what the word says. I'm testing you. You already show, you prove yourself to me, and I'm back, and I'm trying to test you. Lord, I'm sorry. I am sorry. How often do we do that? I think I do it more than I realize. We do it a lot. And God's saying, but I have a better way. Just be patient. Just wait. There's always a better way. You know, in every temptation that Satan uses against Jesus, in every temptation he uses against us, there's a twisting of God's word. And there's a selfish tactic involved. Surely you should feed yourself, Jesus. Surely, God wants you to have authority. So give me your allegiance, and I will give it to you. Surely, God will protect you. So why not try him out? Every one of those tactics draws us outside of God's will and distracts us from the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Satan wants us to get a off course in our spiritual walk. So he offers us shortcuts to spirituality. And those shortcuts just end up being dead ends with no hope in sight. Our response to the temptations in our life are crucial. We have to rely on God. We have to walk the hard road with him. Because anything we do independent of him disconnects us from him. Jesus responded to temptation with loyalty to God, to loyalty to his word. And that's what we have to do, and temptation is always there. Are we looking to God to guide us through? Do we rest in our faith looking for God's hand in our circumstances? The famous theologian William Barclay said this about Christian hope. Christian hope is one that has seen everything. It has endured everything, and yet still has not despaired. 
It believes in God because it believes in his word. It believes in his promises and his faithfulness. The Christian hope is not a hope in the human spirit or human goodness. It is not hope in human endurance or human achievement. Christian hope is a hope in the power of God to overcome and be victorious in all things. What are we allowing to get in the way of our hope? Are we looking for fulfillment by our own means? Or are we seeking dependence on the one who gave us life? Are we looking to him for care and provision? Are we feeding on scripture, filling up our hearts with his word? Psalm 119 Verse 11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. If you don't know the words, you can't recite them back to Satan. Are we looking to keep control of our own lives and then deal with the consequences that we create for ourselves? Or are we resting in his will and his plan for our lives? Because he's the one with the perfect plan. He's the one with the perfect timing. Our response to the temptations that we face determines our path. It determines our path on our journey towards hope. Throughout scripture, we see examples of perseverance in the temptations, in the trials of life. We see them that they're greater manifestations of the Holy Spirit in the lives of those that are tempted, those that face the trials. Because when we fight past those distractions, when we say no to Satan and yes to God, we're brought closer towards hope. And when we're brought closer to hope, then the people out there are also brought closer to hope. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. You are awesome. The creator of the universe, you care about us, Lord. You bent down to hear our prayers. You breathe life into us. You count the very hairs on our heads. Our little minds can't even fathom that, Lord. And yet we're here because of you, because of your great love, because of your great mercy and grace. In you we have hope. Help us to fight off the temptations. Help us to No to the distractions that are trying to pull us away from you, Lord. Help keep us on the journey towards hope so that those around us will see that hope as well. As we leave this place, Lord, I ask for blessing upon every person here. Keep them safe. Keep them strong in the spirit. Keep them in your loving care. In Jesus' holy and precious name, amen.